0: Okay, so this is one of those things that uh, when you're talking to your, you know, your grandpa, you get a couple of drinks into him, he starts telling you stories of the old country. And he's always harping on me, I should go back, I should go back, That's you know, go back to your homeland, go back to your roots. I'm like, you yeah, know, it sounds beautiful, grandpa. But then he tells me this story. I don't know who would ever go back to this country. He's telling me in the village he grew up, in, there was a butcher, him and his wife, they were great people, loving, gave extra meat to the poor families. But over the years, the husband and wife, like they do, they start arguing and fighting, arguing and fighting, and that's almost became a joke of the town that you you would know the butcher was open because they would be arguing first thing in the morning. You'd go get your meat, listen to them fight. It was like a show. And then one day, the wife is just gone, which is weird because they've always worked together for years and years. The butcher's telling everybody, oh, she went on a vacation with her mother. She'll, she'll be back. We just needed some time apart. She's gone for a day or two. And she's gone for three or four days, and he's still doing his business. He's still selling his meat, and all of a sudden, he has this new sausage that comes out. It's unbelievably popular, and it's like people don't know what it is. They're trying to figure it out. Is it goat? Is it it chicken? Is it pork? What is it? What is in this? And he's not telling anybody. It's just old family recipe. My wife, she handed me this recipe down. I'm just trying this new thing. She said it'd be great, and it goes on for a while, and then people notice, hey, it's been like two weeks, and the wife has never come back. And nobody knows and finally you end up finding out he went to the butcher the next morning places boarded up the cops are there what ended up happening was the guy strangled his wife and to hide the body he'd been grinding her up over the last week into the sausage and everyone in the village had been eating his wife it was apparently great sausage what happens and this is the town he wants me to go visit where people eat each other and I'm like no I am NOT going to sausage town
1: it Okay, so I heard
2: so we on the bus. My dad yeah, to go to yeah. Dallas. Mm-hmm. For one time when I was little, uh, my dad. Eight, ran eight, when eight, I was little, my dad hurt. Oh. Came
0: out of the rest of Yeah,
1: it's just a story. Seems an awful
0: waste.
1: Such a nice plump frame. What's his name? Has. Had. Has. With a price of meat, what it is. When you get it. If you get it. Good, you got it. We'll serve anyone. We'll anyone. At anyone
2: at and to you. anyone. At
1: Hello, and welcome to Just a Story Podcast. I'm Jake.
2: And I'm Sam. We want to thank everyone who subscribed and downloaded so far, and encourage you all to write brilliant five-star reviews, keep the podcast going and growing. I want to remind you all why we're here. We're taking a look at the stories that we tell over and over again, what our myths and misdeeds, fears, and fables say about us as humans. And this week, we're talking about the sausage fat murder.
1: Oh, Aw. Yeah. How
2: the sausage gets made.
1: Oh. Meat is murder. I love this story. So as a kid, I'm sure this will shock all of our listeners, I loved the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark book. And this was one that was in it. And it had the most amazing images in this book. And it had this drawing of cut-off hand holding a fork with a bite of sausage or meatball on it. It
2: was like thing from the Hannes It was like a
1: severed arm. While all of the images were scary, there are a few of the fire six that just truly stuck in my mind. I love that one. So this is a great story. But, you know, while we're here, did this happen? Have we been eating sausage with people in it? Where did this story come from?
2: Well, this is one of those cases where truth is stranger than fiction. So I think from what, all of my researching, I believe that this started as a real story that was embellished, which is amazing to me. It really happened in Chicago. In 1871, the former sausage king of Chicago, Abe Froman, unfortunately, no. Um, but bonus points for that. Adolf Ludgert was his name. He moved to Chicago. In 1871 Right after the Great Fire He was originally a tanner I assume he went there To take care of Mrs. O'Leary's cow That kicked the bucket over And started the whole thing Bessie Was her name Bessie? I don't know I know Mrs. O'Leary's cow But I never heard her Called Bessie Well it is now So he opened a grocery store And saloon In 1872 and in 1879, they found a dead body in the alley behind a shop. There was a thick wad of chewing tobacco shoved down the man's throat, that it caused him to suffocate. And Lutgert was brought in for questioning at that time. So he was kind of a unsavory character at this point. I'm gonna warn you now: the meat puns might be hard to stomach on this episode. Ha <laughs> ha. Okay, I'm sorry. I can't help it. Puns, puns, puns. So he's already got kind of a rap
1: sheet right now. He was not convicted of this killing.
2: Right. No, no, there was no evidence I don't even think he was charged <laughs> He was brought in for questioning
1: Yeah, he was bought, brought to the attention of the police
2: And then his first wife died in 1881 And at that time He opened a small sausage factory
1: Did they just make small sausages?
2: That is, I think, the most correct way to read it, but it's also possible that it was a small establishment where sausage was produced.
1: Oh, I thought he might be the inventor of the Vienna
2: Sausage. So he opened the small sausage factory in 1881, and then he married a woman named Louisa, who was ten years younger than him, and she was a servant in a foreign house. And he bought her a 14-carat gold ring that weighed two ounces, because this is the sausage king we're dealing with, after all. The best Sausage King
1: of Chicago can afford. So, in
2: 1894, he makes an investment. And
1: what did he invest in?
2: A big sausage factory. And so do
1: they make big sausages? Yes.
2: And he built a big, nice house next door. He told his wife, and I quote, I couldn't make this up, I could become Sausage King of the World. That's what he said. It is. Actually, it's in quotes. He did not just want to be the Sausage King of Chicago. He had big dreams and she nagged him and he was known for his temper and he beat his wife and drove her from his home into the street multiple times so he moved out of the house and moved into an apartment in the factory he slept with a help he had a little affair with the maid and he also courted a wealthy widow named miss christine felt and he wrote her amorous letters. So he shut down the factory to do renovations to get his sausage ship in ship shape. The bank foreclosed on his house because the sausage king had these delusions of sausage grandeur. I'm sure Freud would have just best time with this guy. I, I just, I wish that he knew about this case. And the wife was like, I warned you not to get too crazy with your sausage. I'm sure you love that. um, Yeah, it went real well. So just prior to the shutdown of the factory, he accepted a delivery of potash and arsenic, which are both very caustic and very poisonous substances. And he called up his trusty employee. And
1: what was his employee's name? Smaila?
2: Smokehouse Frank.
1: We could make this up, people.
2: And he told him, To put it in a vat, but not to get it on his hands or it would give him a bad burn. His mistress left for the night, and he went and fired up the vats, right before re-entering his home to have a talk with his wife. Her children had just gotten back from the circus. Were there clowns at the circus? I assume there were clowns. But when the kids woke up the next morning, you know what they didn't find? Sausage for breakfast. I'm sure there was sausage for breakfast. They didn't find Mrs. Lutgert. Adolf enters the home to make breakfast around 10 a.m. I'm sure he had sausage and eggs. And the kids asked where their mom was, and he told them that she'd gone to visit her aunt. And then he left. And so the boys started asking neighbors if they'd seen their mom, and no one had. He left them alone, and they went door-to-door, knocking, asking very, have you seen my mummy?" Very Doctor Who. And he didn't report her missing until six days later. The police started an investigation and found out there was a history of domestic violence and loud disputes. People saying that they'd heard him argue. And and then, most suspiciously, one of the neighbors reported that he had seen Adolf walking with a lantern and his wife toward the sausage factory.
1: This is not a new window.
2: And he sent the night watchman out for an errand that night. When he came back, the vats were on. And he told him to go home because he was running an experiment. The next day when he returned, he found that the sausage vats were overflowing, and Adolf was asleep in his office. So a vat of potash could dissolve a body in about two hours. Why is that important? Because there's a good possibility that Mrs. Lutgert was put in one of those vats.
1: By smokehouse record?
2: No, by Dear, Dear Adolf, the Sausage King of Chicago. So several people reported hearing screams coming from the sausage factory. I'm sorry, I'm not even trying at this point. And police investigated, and at the bottom of one of the vats, they found several bone fragments and a 14-carat gold 2-ounce ring engraved with the initials LL for Louisa Lutgert.
1: So they found some pretty damning evidence at this time.
2: The only conclusion that can be drawn is either... She got mad and threw her a ring in the vat, or and those were animal bones. I mean, like, there's still it's still kind of circumstantial. There's not DNA, there's not anything. So, the police wanted because more.
1: They, they did not know what DNA was at this time.
2: No, they, they didn't. Watson and Kirk had not yet stolen their famous primrosine boyfriend. They found out that Adolf had ordered some ash from the factory to be thrown out in the street, which wasn't uncommon. They would use ash to fill in potholes. So the police sifted through 10 barrels from in front of the factory, and in the ash they found a bone hairpin, steel corset stay, more bone fragments, and blonde hair. They also examined his office and found dark spots that looked like blood. So then he was arrested, and he told them, again in quotes, Take me if you want, but God knows I'm innocent. And that's where the rumors started.
1: So is this the time when yellow journalism was really starting to ramp up?
2: This was the exact time that yellow journalism was starting to ramp up. So in New York, William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer were in a publishing war. They were trying every which way they could to grab the attention of the public. This is where muckraking started. And let me tell you, the sausage stuff was the muck of legends. This trial was covered and covered and covered and covered and covered. I just read a book that cites one of the papers as saying, the per capita Bratwurst consumption of the entire city plummeted.
1: Terrible news for the sausage king of Chicago.
2: Terrible, terrible news. Well, Adolf was just not having a very good time of it at all at this point. The local children, of course, caught on. There's a little rhyme. Do you know the rhyme?
1: I do. I love it. Old man looked could make sausage out of his wife. He turned on the steam. His wife began to scream, There will be a hot time in the old town tonight. I imagine kids
2: jump-roping and singing this. Well, it's like Lizzie Borden. In their pantaloons. That would be scandalous. Knickerbockers. And their knickerbockers. <laughs> so, there was a lot of evidence against the Sausage King, and he was indicted for murder on June 5th of 1897. The defense claimed that the evidence was planted and the bone fragments could have been those of animals. They held a very firm line that she ran away. They even had witnesses brought in saying that they'd seen her as far away as Wisconsin. And the newspapers did a great job of keeping that lore, that possibility alive, that shadow of a doubt, I guess. Like, they had people writing in from Germany and saying that they'd seen her there, and God help us, can you imagine if this had happened while we had social media? He was called an inhuman fiend and one of the most dastardly murderers in history. The prosecution showed love letters that he'd written to Christine while he was in prison, saying that he wanted to leave his wife for her.
1: But what's great about this trial is it's one of the first uses of forensic evidence.
2: You're exactly right. Up until this point, forensic anthropology had been mainly focused on the now fringe science of phrenology, which you know, focused on using mounds on the head to discern personality traits. There was also a school of thought that you could look at someone and classify what kind of person they were by their physical countenance. And so there were a lot of people that were studying faces and believed that they could tell if someone was guilty of murder or could be guilty of murder purely by the shape of their brow. But this was going out of fashion. People even at this point were beginning to realize that it was nonsense. And one example of an acclaimed anthropologist went in to do a study on this murderer that he found fascinating. And so he goes in and does a complete facial analysis and writes up this report about how he could only be the lowest kind of fiend and everything. And then come to find out it was like an award-winning police officer who had posed and exposed this guy. But in this case, forensic anthropology had a redemption day of sorts because they called in a man named Charles Vincent Belay, the forensic anthropology expert from the Field Museum little institution in Chicago. Don't right, so, agree
1: it. Right, so there's the not know the Field Museum. It's a world-renowned museum of anthropology, paleontology, and kind of the natural sciences in Chicago. It's one of my favorite museums I've ever been to.
2: It's fabulous. They have the most complete T-Rex skeleton in existence, correct?
1: Right, they have Sue the T-Rex, which mm. is a very interesting story about how that came to be.
2: He testified that the bones were human. And you mentioned that they found a bone... Called the sesmoid bone? Mm-hmm.
1: So a sesmoid bone is kinda of like a pulley system-ish on the tendons, like one that you can see a lot of times on x-rays of the big toe.
2: And you said not even all people have that, correct?
1: Right. It's not 100% of the population that has it.
2: Lüttger himself did not testify. All the newspapers were sorely disappointed. After Charles Vincent Bailey's testimony, the jury remained deadlocked. So, another trial began, and during the retrial, Dr. George Dorsey, the director of the Field Museum, was called in, and he believed that the bones were human. That jury convicted Lutgert, and he died in prison about six months later after sentencing on July 7th of 1899. Interestingly, the Sausage King's would-be empire still stands, and it's now condos.
1: I love that all of these places where horrific incidents now become condos. The one I could think of is in Rand Salem.
2: Yeah, that was kind of horrifying.
1: Where, where's, where's it was the... like
2: where the jail was. No, it was where Giles Corley was pressed to death, I believe. They're building condos on the site now, and I think that's kind of... There's also a giant bewitched statue where the old well used to be, where people would go and stand and watch the people being executed on the top of the hill. So now there's a big Elizabeth Montgomery statue.
1: I love America.
2: Oh, America. So, yes, that is the story of Adolf Lutger. Now, where does the exaggeration come in, you might ask?
1: I would say that there's no evidence that sausage was actually made out of her.
2: Right, but people thoroughly and completely believed that they had been eating Mrs. Lutger all along.
1: This is really an interesting topic because, like I said, it's been told over and over again. This is when we know it's been told, a story that's been told for over a century. Yes. And the idea of people eating other people unwittingly has really just seeped into our collective consciousness.
2: Right, we're all very afraid that... We can't trust the people who are preparing our food. Right. This
1: has gotten into TV, books, movies. We have the great episode of Twilight Zone.
2: To Serve Man. It's a
1: cookbook! It's a cookbook! And then we have a great Charlton Heston movie.
2: They're all great Charlton Heston right. movies.
1: None of them, but all of them. <laughs> There are a lot of fun names. My favorite, Wayne's World. And my favorite, Planet of the Apes.
2: Okay, cheating. But
1: this one, of course, is Soylent Green, the famous line at the end where it goes, It's people, Soylent Green is people. Where this post apocalyptic society is being fed people without their knowledge. And then, of course, we have American Psycho.
2: Right, where Patrick Bateman's on the phone calling to confess in that frantic moment, and he's like, I tried to cook a little.
1: And then in Red Dragon, one of the sequels, what kind of sequel, to Silence of the Lambs, where Hannibal Lecter is feeding his
2: victim his own brain. And he's just sitting there as he's cutting it out and just eating it. So we're, we don't like this idea that somebody could possibly be feeding us people without us knowing about it. Okay, that makes sense.
1: So this happened over a century ago. There's no way there have been any more cases like this
2: all right that's what you think because you know forensics has caught up with them and it didn't go so well the first time and surely there can't be that many sausage kings with wives to dispose of
1: but of course there is chef David vanes
2: okay tell me about David venes so David
1: vees is the an la chef that in 2009 was convicted of murder okay. and may ask who did he murder how did this happen now he got in a fight with his wife that got a little physical He ended up duct-taping her mouth after an argument and woke up to find her dead. Now, when a chef sees a dead body, I guess immediately they think, I guess I'll cook her. So he took a very large
2: pot. How big was the pot? There's a confession of this uh, that he made. It's a jailhouse confession that he made to a plant. And that's one of the questions that the man asked him. And (laughs) Vane's bumbles all around trying to describe how big this pot is, and it's quite disturbing. So he put her in this pot,
1: this large pot, he cannot describe how big it is, and he cooked her for four days. He took her remains and dumped them in the grease pit at his LA nice restaurant. Of course, you may think he loved his wife. I can't believe he did that. Well, he did keep her skull and hid it in his mother's
2: Classy guy. Four star.
1: So we have a chef that did cook his wife down.
2: But he didn't serve her. Okay, Jacob, I think there's only one way to settle this. In a Robert Stack, Unsolved Mysteries-style story-off, I will see you, your chef who cooked his wife but didn't serve her to anyone, and raise you an Australian woman named Catherine Mary Knight.
1: So what did this Catherine Mary Knight do?
2: Well, she killed her lover in October of 2001. His name was John Price and after his co-workers and neighbors noticed that he was missing, they went to see if they could see him at his house and when they walked by the house they noticed that there was blood on the front door.
1: So they found blood on the door. Why would there be blood on the door?
2: Well, I think that if you had done the things that uh, Catherine Mary Knight had done, there might be some blood on your door too. It's a messy business. So she kills him. She skins him and hangs his skin on a meat hook. Well, I don't know why the woman had a meat hook to begin with. And she decapitated him. And then she put his head in a pot and put vegetables in and cooked it. She added cabbage, zucchini, potatoes, pumpkin, and yellow squash and made a nice gravy. She plated it and put it out on the table with place cards engraved with the names of Price's children intent on serving it to them when they returned home from school.
1: A lovely meal.
2: Nothing like home cooking. But they found the third meal dumped out in the yard, which means she might have eaten and then thrown it out i'm not certain but by the time police arrived the children had not yet come back from school so they never managed to actually eat the meal that she had prepared for them the police did find the head in the pot with the vegetables and it was still warm indicating that it had been cooked and she was the first woman ever sentenced to a natural life term in australia so
1: she cooked the meal
2: she did cook it.
1: She was gonna serve it. She to the was kids. gonna serve it. She may have possibly kind of nibbled on it. Tried a to bite. Yeah,
2: and didn't like
1: it. Didn't like her own cooking. No. But, but. she did not feed it to anybody. Not truly.
2: Okay, I'll concede.
1: So I raise Mr. Mao Sugiyama. This man is a Japanese man, He's an artist. And he is a self-proclaimed asexual. And he voluntarily had his penis and testicles surgically removed. As you do. And so what would one do with their spare penis and testicles?
2: Medical waste?
1: No. I think that you could serve this.
2: Oh, okay. Absolutely. Why not?
1: So he decided to offer up his genitals served as a meal to whoever could pay the price.
2: What was the price?
1: He originally offered it as one price and then it ended up going to five people at $250 a plate. Now he served this garnished with a little bit of mushrooms and parsley. And there are actually pictures of him cooking in full chef regalia.
2: When did this happen?
1: In 2011. Oh god. (laughs) So, since no one died, no one was murdered...
2: Or even packed up unconsensually or without medical supervision...
1: He was only charged in Japan with indecent exposure.
2: Okay, so he cooked it, and people ate it that weren't him. True. But it wasn't to conceal a crime.
1: True, true.
2: So, that leads us naturally to Armin Mewes. And I'm butchering that pronunciation. I didn't even mean to do it. He was a German man. He advertised for a willing participant to be slaughtered and cannibalized. And he had done this for quite some time. This has been a fantasy of his for years and years.
1: And someone actually responded to this kind of
2: Craigslist advertisement? Someone did. His name was Bert Jurgen Armando Brand. And he was a German engineer from Berlin. He was 41 at the time, and he sold his car, told the people at work he had to go take care of a personal matter, and wrote a will. He then went and joined Armin, and they decided that they should video the entire thing to prove it was consensual. And together, they decided that the logical starting place for this expedition into the culinary world of cannibalism was to cut off Bert's penis. So they started with that.
1: So they cut it off. Did they cook
2: it? Well, not at first. At first they tried to eat it raw, but burnt complained that it was too chewy. Burnt and Armand both tried to eat it? They both tried to eat it together, yes. So they tried to eat it raw, but it was too chewy. So then Armin capitulated that it was too chewy, and he took it and chopped it up and fried it a little with some garlic and salt. And then, for some reason, that still did not satisfy, so then he tried to use some of... Burnt's fat to fry it a little more but by that point it had been fried too much and it was burned so they fed it to the doll. So how do
1: we know all this happened?
2: Well it was videoed. Of course. The whole thing was videoed of course. After this incident he again affirmed that he had burnt's consent and then slaughtered him using a butcher knife which he used to cut his throat. Then he butchered him and he froze some of the meat, and he ate some at the time, and every once in a while he would return to his freezer and get a little out and go barbecue it in the garden. Like I said, he'd harbor this fantasy for a long time. He had books on cannibalistic recipes. Fried Liver of a Young Man was one of the articles that they found.
1: Where do you get these cookbooks?
2: I have no idea, but they were on the shelves with Disney movies, they said.
1: Oh, of course.
2: (laughs) Obviously.
1: So, this man. Yes. Did butcher someone. Yes. He did feed it to someone. Yes. But it was consensual. Yes. And it wasn't really to hide anything, because they both knew about it. Right. So this is not a fair story.
2: Hmm. This is hard. It is hard. Alright, one last chance.
1: But I got you, beat.
2: Oh, okay.
1: In Russia, mm-hmm. in 2009, three homeless men killed a 25-year-old man, butchered him, and ate some of him. Okay. After eating some of them, they had a brilliant idea. Mm Mm-hmm. They could take some of this meat and sell it to the local kebab and pie stand. In Mother Russia, kebab skewer you. Aw. So it is presumed that this kebab and pie stand went ahead and sold this meat.
2: Can anyone confirm that?
1: The police will not reveal whether or not the man was sick. But I feel like it's pretty sick. I feel like
2: they'd say assume. if it wasn't. I can neither confirm nor deny. Okay, sure. It's some KGB stuff. Oh my god, this really <laughs> happened! Of course it happened in Russia.
1: So it really happened. People really ate someone that was murdered without their knowledge.
2: Kudos. You won the
1: story, off. all High five. I win. Clean clean. What do I win? Kebabs. <laughs> Are you cooking them?
2: No, we're going to have them imported. From Russia? Yes. No, oh, thank you. Actually, your real prize is, you get to ask the question.
1: You mean, the most important question? The
2: most important question.
1: Samantha, why do we keep telling this horrific story?
2: I think that it reveals something that... Came into the zeitgeist around the turn of the century when people stopped having control over where their food came from. With the rise of industrialization, they had to trust other people to handle their food.
1: Are well, they kind of moving to the city mm-hmm. from the country?
2: When you give up responsibility but also control over your own livelihood, your sustenance, the very basic means of survival when you give that away to a nameless faceless entity, it requires a lot of trust and with that there's always going to be suspicion.
1: So I think of that great high school required reading book mm-hmm. The Jungle
2: right, Mr. Right.
1: Upton Sinclair which was published in
2: 1906 It was published in 1906 and it was a novel, it was not a report or nonfiction book
1: But going back to my high school English classes, this was not completely
2: fictional. Well, he did spend seven weeks working incognito in the meatpacking plants of... What do you think?
1: Russia. No. (laughs) Chicago. Yes.
2: And he did see some things. The book focused on wage inequality and the lack of a sports system for the lower class and their terrible working conditions and their horrific sanitary practices or lack thereof. During his time in the factory, Upton Sinclair did report that there were people falling into the vats and going out with other meat products. So that's a probably pretty substantial foundation to this rumor. It probably added a lot of fuel to the fire. But that
1: was never confirmed.
2: Or denied. Jack London, the author of Call of the Wild, reviewed the book, and called it the Uncle Tom's Cabin of Wage Sleep. It was very influential, and some of my favorite quotes from the book include, they use everything about the hog except the squeal. And then this sort of ties into the idea I was just talking about, where we're giving up our well-being to these corporations. And he says, the great corporation which employed you lied to you, and lied to the whole country. From the top to the bottom, it was nothing but one gigantic lie. So you can see how this could generate suspicion and distrust.
1: Right, this went up to the top.
2: Absolutely. There were no restrictions in place, no regulations on food production or drug production at this point. So it led to the passage of the Meat Inspection Act and the Pure Food and Drug Act in 1906. The Bureau of Chemistry was established, and that later became...
1: The FDA.
2: Food and Drug Administration, exactly right. So the FDA is in place for a reason. And since the establishment of the FDA, we've had no more food scares, right?
1: None at all, except for a lot, especially recently. So one of the big ones that took place in 1993 was the -the jack-in-the-box.
2: Right, I kind of remember hearing something about that.
1: With this, 732 people were infected and four children died. 178 were left with permanent injury from contaminated meat um, that was used at Jack in the Box. And this meat was contaminated with a certain type of E. coli, E. coli 0157H7.
2: Well, aren't you technical?
1: I didn't know that off the top of my head. Fancy for you. Besides just the deaths and horrible injury that people had, it led to a huge, almost shutdown of Jack in the Box.
2: Great, but I still know there's one on the corner, so how do they manage that?
1: Not for my patients. I don't think I've ever
2: eaten a Jack-in-the-Box meal. I think
1: think we may have gotten food there at 3 in the morning after a few adult beverages.
2: Well, that's probably the only way I would eat Jack-in-the-Box. See, I have, like, a negative association with it, and I have no association with it. Like, I would have no memory of this. But I still feel like, oh no, I'm not eating jack-in-the-box. So it must have really seeped into the public consciousness.
1: I think it did, but they were able to kind of revamp, and it does still exist. Another recent case was the salmonella-contaminated peanut butter. This was also all in the news. just happened a few years ago.
2: Yeah, I've heard about that, and the guy was just put on trial, right?
1: Right, so Stuart Parnell, who was the head of the Peanut Corporation of America was convicted and sentenced to 28 years for his involvement with this case. And the reason for that is, he knowingly shipped this peanut butter with a famous email to his plant manager after being told about this contamination with, in quotes, just shipping. Nine people died from this. And 714 people became sick. He was found guilty on 70-plus charges, including shipping contaminated foods across state lines, conspiracy, wire fraud, and obstruction of justice.
2: And they're sure he knew about it?
1: They have the emails.
2: Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, that's really... It's kind of a groundbreaking case, isn't it? For an executive that high up in a company to be sentenced to actual jail time for his involvement with dirty food practices.
1: True. There have been... Lots of companies that have been fined. Conagro was fined, I think, $11 million for a similar case. But this was a specific person that was convicted and sentenced to a long time in jail. And then there's one other case that hits close to home.
2: Okay.
1: Bluebell Ice Cream.
2: Oh, Bluebell Ice Cream.
1: Bluebell Homemade Ice Cream.
2: Oh no. This
1: just happened this year. Now, Bluebell, if you're not from the south, is a local-ish ice cream manufacturer that is from Texas that recently shipped out ice cream contaminated with listeria. And so ten people were diagnosed with listerosis, and three people in Kansas died.
2: Well, let's not do Bluebell anymore. How about Ben and Jerry's? How do you feel about Ben and Jerry's? We can trust Ben and Jerry.
1: I don't know. He can't even taste anything.
2: I know. That confounds me. So, we're afraid that there's icky stuff in our food. But I think there's just as big a chance that we're really upset by the idea of someone getting away with murder. This is a pretty effective way to dispose of the body. Maybe we just recoil in horror at that. If we eat this food, we're helping people get away with murder.
1: But no one's ever gotten away with murder, right?
2: Well, I guess we wouldn't know if someone killed their wife and dumped them in a sausage grinder and fed it to an entire town. We'd have no idea if they'd done it effectively.
1: But it's just a story.
2: Yeah. It's just a story.